Welcome to the April 23rd, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn about the development of a Factor VIII replacement therapy for patients with severe hemophilia A, examine a novel pathway of resistance of FLT3 ITD-positive AML cells to FLT3 inhibitors, and review long-term results of a pilot study in children with low-risk B-cell ALL conducted in a limited-resource setting. First, let's examine data presented in the blood article entitled Developing BIV-001, a new class of factor VIII replacement for hemophilia A that is von Willebrand factor independent by Ekta Seth Shabra and colleagues from Sanofi in Waltham, Massachusetts. Hemophilia A is an X-linked inherited hemorrhagic disorder caused by deficiencies in procoagulant plasma factor VIII. Patients with severe hemophilia A have endogenous factor VIII levels of less than 1%. Recurrent bleeds can be treated or prevented by episodic and prophylactic factor VIII replacement, respectively. However, factor VIII has a short half-life of 12 to 20 hours, which requires repeated administration to safeguard joint health and quality of life. Additionally, the immunogenicity of the molecule leads to the development of neutralizing anti-factor VIII antibodies in roughly 30% of patients. The primary goal of this investigation was to develop a factor VIII replacement therapy for patients with severe hemophilia A that would maintain high factor VIII levels and also permit once-weekly or longer prophylactic dosing. Using rational protein engineering, they developed a form of recombinant factor VIII termed FC-VWF-X10. This novel fusion protein is also known as BIV-001 and provides four-fold longer hemostatic control compared with recombinant factor VIII in preclinical hemophilia A models. In the past five decades, the treatment of hemophilia A has evolved from the use of fresh frozen plasma to purified and now recombinant factor VIII. Generating long-lasting factor VIII has been attempted previously using FC fusion or pegylation technologies. The clinical use of extended half-life factor VIII products has achieved a 30% reduction in the frequency of intravenous injections. However, half-life extension is limited with an increase of less than twofold. In part, this is because these extended half-life products still retain their capacity to bind endogenous von Willebrand factor or VWF, the chaperone of factor VIII. While VWF stabilizes and protects factor VIII from degradation and clearance, it also subjects factor VIII to a half-life ceiling of approximately 15 to 19 hours. Thus, a major focus of the strategy used by this team to develop a new class of factor VIII replacement therapy was to uncouple recombinant factor VIII from endogenous VWF and shield it from rapid plasma clearance. Ultimately, BIV-001 was bioengineered as a unique fusion protein consisting of a VWF D'D3 domain fused to recombinant factor VIII via immunoglobulin G1-FC domains. The D'D3 domain is a region in VWF that promotes multimerization and also binds factor VIII. Using studies in VWF knockout mice, 
the investigators identified a minimal VWF D'D3 region that stabilizes factor VIII, yet uncouples it from VWF-mediated clearance. Other features of this novel factor VIII fusion protein include the addition of two X10 linkers. X10 is a class of hydrophilic protein polymers previously developed by another group and used to extend protein half-life as an alternative to pegylation. The plasma factor VIII half-life after BIV001 administration in mice and monkeys was 25 to 31 hours and 33 to 34 hours, respectively, representing a three- to four-fold increase in factor VIII half-life. This is a breakthrough in the field. Additional studies in this paper showed that BIV001 corrects the bleeding time in hemophilia A mice. The results of this intriguing investigation show that multifaceted protein engineering, far beyond a few amino acid substitutions, can significantly improve factor VIII pharmacokinetic properties while maintaining hemostatic function. BIV001 is the first recombinant factor VIII with the potential to significantly change the treatment paradigm for severe hemophilia A by providing optimal protection against all bleed types and permit less frequent dosing. The safety, tolerability, and pharmacokinetics of BIV001 have recently been evaluated in a first-in-human trial. As noted in the accompanying commentary by Julie Reyes from the University of Birmingham in the UK and Sebastian Lacroix-Demez from INSERM in Paris, BIV001 is an outstanding achievement of rational protein engineering. Although the accomplishment by the team at Sanofi has provided insight for future research and medical treatment possibilities, this commentary notes that whether BIV001 shows an altered immunological profile as compared to factor VIII products with physiological affinities towards VWF will require further investigation. Additional studies will also be needed to determine whether BIV001 will be able to induce factor VIII-specific tolerance during replacement therapy, and if this new agent could allow maintenance of protective tolerance in patients who have developed active immune tolerance to therapeutic factor VIII. Next up, we'll discuss evidence from the blood article entitled FLT3 inhibition upregulates HDAC8 via FOXO to inactivate P53 and promote maintenance of FLT3 ITD positive acute myeloid leukemia by key contributors Lone, Jia, Feng, and Shen, and their colleagues, as led by Ai Bin Liang from Tongji University School of Medicine and Jiang Hu from Shanghai Jiao Tong University School of Medicine, both in Shanghai, China. Acute myeloid leukemia, or AML, is a highly heterogeneous disease at both the clinical and molecular levels. Recent large-scale genomic sequencing efforts have helped to categorize AML into different subtypes based on the mutation profile and their impact on AML pathogenesis and prognosis. Among these recurrent mutations, internal tandem duplications, known as ITD, of the FIMS-like receptor tyrosine kinase 3, or FLT3, are the most frequent and occur in 25-30% to 30 of AML patients. These mutations result in constitutive phosphorylation of the FLT3 receptor and activation of survival and proliferation signaling and confer an increased risk of relapse and inferior overall survival. 
several FLT3 tyrosine kinase inhibitors, commonly referred to as TKIs, such as mitostorin, gilteritinib, and quizartinib, are in clinical usage for targeted therapy. However, these inhibitors only partially inhibit the growth of AML cells and result in only transient clinical responses when used as single agents, suggesting the existence of drug-resistant mechanisms. Secondary mutations in the FLT3 tyrosine kinase domain have been proposed as a frequent mechanism of resistance. However, more recent mutational analysis of patient samples following TKI treatment revealed that other diverse mechanisms contribute to clinical resistance. Therefore, a better understanding of molecular events contributing to TKI drug resistance would aid development of strategies to achieve sustained remission. These authors were able to identify a novel pathway of resistance to TKIs via their induction of the histone deacetylase HDAC8, which inactivates P53 and promotes AML cell survival. The investigators used two different cell lines with mutated FLT3 as well as primary human AML cells, along with patient-derived xenograft, or PDX, mouse models, to elegantly demonstrate how treatment with quizartinib promotes survival of primitive AML cells. They discovered that quizartinib, also known as AC220, upregulated HDAC8 through the transcription factors FOX01 and FOX03. HDACs, in general, regulate genome stability and gene expression by the modification of histones, but also can modulate the function of non-histone proteins through deacetylation. These investigators next showed that upregulated HDAC8 deacetylates and inactivates P53 in AML cells, leading to persistence of leukemia and drug resistance upon TKI treatment. They also determined that genetic or pharmacological inhibition of HDAC8 reactivates P53, abrogates maintenance of leukemia, and significantly enhances TKI-mediated elimination of FLT3-ITD-positive AML cells. Importantly, in FLT3-ITD-positive AML-PDX models, they showed that the combination of AC220 with an HDAC8 inhibitor significantly inhibits leukemia progression and effectively reduces primitive FLT3 ITD-positive AML cells. Additionally, Lone et al. extended their findings to an AML subtype harboring another tyrosine kinase-activating mutation. In summary, this informative study demonstrates that HDAC8 upregulation is an important mechanism in TKI resistance of AML cells. The report also suggests that combining HDAC8 inhibition with TKI treatment could be a promising strategy to treat FLT3-ITD-positive AML and other leukemias harboring tyrosine kinase mutations. Future studies can also determine whether the development of inhibitors of FOXO transcription factors will also inhibit HDAC and persistence of leukemic stem cell targets. Now for a review of the study published in Blood entitled Reduced Dose Intensity Therapy for Pediatric Lymphoblastic Leukemia, Long-Term Results of the Recife RELA05 Pilot Study by Francisco Pedrosa from Real Hospital Portugues, Brazil, and Raul Ribeiro, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, United States, and colleagues. 
Precursor B-cell ALL, also referred to as B-cell ALL, is the most common childhood malignancy. Risk-adapted intensification of chemotherapy, coupled with improved supportive care, has resulted in survival rates exceeding 90%. However, children with B-cell ALL in low- or middle-income countries have less positive outcomes than children treated in first-world countries. These include high rates of treatment-related mortality as well as failure to complete treatment. Thus, there is a strong rationale for identifying a subset of ALL patients who can be treated with a reduced-intensity regimen in limited-resource settings. This innovative pilot study was conducted in Brazil. The team used clinical features plus the degree of initial response to therapy as assessed by a simplified flow cytometric assay to identify children with B-cell ALL at a very low risk of relapse. This subgroup of patients were treated with a substantially reduced intensity regimen and had excellent outcomes. It is already known that the strongest prognostic factor in predicting outcomes in childhood B-cell ALL is based on minimal residual disease, or MRD, measured at the end of treatment induction. Unfortunately, advanced diagnostic testing capabilities typically used in first-world countries are not available in limited-resource settings, which makes optimal risk stratification and refinement of therapy challenging. In developing an alternative strategy, the authors noted that historically, 30% of children with ALL were cured with much less intensive chemotherapy than the current standard. Moreover, in previous studies of children with ALL treated with standard intensity regimens, those patients with MRD levels of less than 0.01% early in remission induction had very low relapse rates. These observations led these investigators to propose that the subset of children with ALL who had favorable presenting features and a major early response to induction therapy had highly drug-sensitive ALL. They hypothesized that this subset could receive reduced-dose intensity treatment, which would have low rates of toxicity yet result in high rates of disease-free survival. In this study, conducted in Recife, Brazil, they applied a simplified flow cytometric assay to identify children with B-cell ALL at a very low risk, or VLR, of relapse and treated them with a reduced-intensity treatment plan, RELA05. VLR criteria included favorable clinical presenting features known to be associated with low-risk ALL and MRD levels of less than 0.01% on remission induction day 19. The team reported treatment outcomes for 101 out of the 375 consecutive patients with B-cell ALL who were identified as having VLR disease and were treated with a low-intensity anti-metabolite-based regimen. Apart from two doses of donorubicin, their treatment consisted of a combination of agents with a relatively low myelotoxicity profile. This included prednisone, vincristine, L-asparaginase, methotrexate, and 6-mercaptopurine, cyclophosphamide, systemic cytarabine, and CNS radiotherapy were not used. The treatment was well tolerated. Episodes of neutropenia were of short duration. There were no cases of toxic death or failure to complete treatment. At a medium follow-up of 6.6 years, there were only eight major adverse events, including six relapses, one treatment-related death from septicemia during remission, and one secondary myeloid leukemia, 
The estimated five-year event-free and overall survival rates were 92% and 96%, respectively. Thus, patients with B-cell ALL selected by a combination of presenting features and the degree of early response can be successfully treated with a mildly myelosuppressive chemotherapy regimen. This noteworthy effort offers evidence that a simplified MRD assessment in children with B-cell ALL is feasible in low- and middle-income countries and enables application of a low-intensity treatment regimen that achieves excellent outcomes. Remaining challenges for treating childhood ALL in resource-limited settings is that the approach used in this study is relevant for only about one-quarter of the childhood B-cell ALL patients. Importantly, the results also provide proof of concept that a regimen with relatively low myelosuppressive activity can eradicate a subset of pediatric B-cell ALL. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Blood Podcast series is made possible in part by support from Servier Pharmaceuticals.